All right. Hey, if you have a Bible with you, or if you want to use one of the red ones in your chair, would you turn with me to Matthew 28? Matthew 28. If you are using one of the red Bibles, it's on page 487. We are reaching the end of summer, and that means we're reaching the end of our summer series. So we're going to look at the end of Matthew's gospel to hear from Jesus one last time about what it means to be disciples of him. That's what we've been looking at. What does it mean to be Christians, disciples who follow Jesus? And so we're learning from Jesus. We're sitting at his feet and asking him, Lord, what does it mean to follow you? And in this last passage in the gospel of Matthew, we're going to learn from Jesus one more time. And here's what he's going to teach us. Disciples of Jesus make disciples of Jesus. That's his last lesson in the class of discipleship. Disciples of Jesus make disciples of Jesus. So let's go ahead and read this. Matthew 28, verses 16 through 20. This is after Jesus is crucified and risen from the dead. He's meeting with his disciples, and he's giving them one last charge Verse 16, now the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for sending your Son who is worthy of all blessing and honor and glory. May we hear your word today, and may it convict us, Lord, to join your mission to make disciples of all nations. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. A few weeks ago, I was sitting at Starbucks. I I do that a lot, but this particular instance happened a few weeks ago. I was sitting there, and it was busier than normal. And uh, as I was sitting there, I was looking around, and um, I realized that most of the people in the building were Starbucks employees. In fact, they had two people running the cash register. They had four people making drinks, one person handing them out the window to the drive-thru. They were training two additional baristas behind the counter. And then to my left was what probably was like the regional manager. He, he wasn't in like the black uniform, but all the other managers were coming up and talking to him, and he was behind a computer working. And And so then he was talking to a manager, and then on the other side of me, there was another manager who was doing an interview with a potential new hire. And then on the other side of the dining room, there were two more baristas on an iPad, like going through a training module or something. And I realized, like, there were about 20 people in the room, and only five of us were actually paying customers. I mean, it was just, it was so busy and hectic, but it was, it was pretty crazy, And so I actually asked the manager what was happening, because it was different. And he said that 
uh, they're building a new Mayfield Starbucks right down the road. And it's almost open. And uh, so this location on Psalm Center, they were hiring a bunch of new people and training a bunch of new people because from that store, they were going to send a team to go and open up this new branch here in Mayfield, the second one in Mayfield. I thought that was so impressive. I actually went home and remember telling Sarah, like, there's a sermon illustration in what I was seeing. And here it is. Uh, Starbucks had a mission. Like, their mission is to sell, like, overpriced coffee, yeah, and to create an experience that invites people back in. But they're doing it. Like, they were recruiting people, training people, managing people, and sending people. They have it figured out. I mean, this, this is a company that's been open for over 50 years. They're in over 76 countries worldwide. And I looked it up this week. They have over 32,000 locations every day serving coffee and welcoming people again and again. They have it figured out. That is their mission a whole bunch of different people doing different roles, working together to accomplish one thing. Serve coffee. Jesus is he's doing something similar here. He's pulling together his disciples, his team, at the very end of his ministry on earth, and he's saying, here's the mission. Take what you've learned from me, and go into all of the world and make disciples. That's your mission. That is the church's mission. We, we as a church plant, Story Church, has a unique mission. We say it each week, that we exist to invite neighbors into a new story shaped by Jesus. But that mission statement, that is derived from this mission statement from Jesus that every church has. Be disciples and make disciples. That is what Jesus is telling his church to do. Go into the world, be disciples, and make disciples. So that's what we're going to look at today, the mission of discipleship. And we're going to see in this passage three questions we have to ask, what even is a disciple? Where do we make disciples? And how do we go about making disciples? So what is a disciple? Where do we make disciples? And then how do we go about making disciples? First, this passage shows us what even is a disciple. If we are to go and make new disciples, if, that, if that's the thing that Jesus wants us to do, then we need to know what a disciple is. And we see here in verse 19 that Jesus says the first thing you're to do when you make disciples is baptize them. Baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Disciples are to be baptized that's, if you're not familiar with that word, that's when either water is poured on someone or someone goes down into a tub and up again. That is the act of baptism. And, and baptism is this outward sign of this inward spiritual reality that we have been united by faith to Jesus. 
This is something that every Christian, every follower of Jesus, every disciple is to go through because this outward sign shows the rest of the world that this person now identifies with Jesus. Paul, the apostle Paul in Romans says that we were united to him in his crucifixion and united to him in his resurrection. And so in the waters of baptism, we see that that we go down into the depths of the earth in his crucifixion and come up out of the waters in new life, and that's his resurrection. Disciples of Jesus are to be baptized because it shows that we are united to Jesus. Because for disciples, for people who have trusted in Jesus, it means that their old way of life is gone. The old way of walking in this world, the old way of conducting one's life is done. It is dead on the cross. But we've been given the new life, a resurrection life, a new identity. We are a new creation, and that comes with a new way of living, a new way of interacting with those around us. So disciples are to be baptized because it demonstrates that our old life is gone and our new life has come. But not just that, because baptism also represents being cleansed. It's not just that we've put off the old self and put on the new self, but this is an action that shows the world that the grace of God is that when we place our faith in Jesus, we are cleansed. The Bible talks about sin in so many different ways, but one of the ways that it talks about it is that it's like a stain. It's like an infection that creeps into our body and spreads that's, that's why when, when we sin, like we feel guilty, we feel shame and darkness and icky, it's because it's this like intangible thing that we can't get rid of. But the waters of baptism remind us that the blood of Jesus has been poured out and in his blood we are cleansed of our sin. So Jesus says, if you want to go and make disciples, introduce them to Jesus and then baptize them. Because in baptism, disciples show that they are united to Jesus. But he doesn't stop there. He says also in this passage, we see that disciples come and worship Jesus. This is before, in, in verse 16 and 17, the 11 disciples, because Judas, you know, has betrayed Jesus and he's no longer part of the picture. So the 11 disciples come, they go to Galilee, they go to this mountain that Jesus says he's going to meet them on, and when they see him, they worship him. Even some of them worship while being hesitant in their heart, but they still come and worship him because disciples of Jesus worship him. And that's not just like coming to church on Sundays and being with the people of God and worshiping through prayer and singing and reading and hearing the word of God. That, that, yes, that is worship, but worship is also putting Jesus number one in your life. To worship Jesus is to not just to invite Jesus to be part of your life, but to change his priority in your life, to say, Jesus, I'm going to elevate you on top of my life. And so everything else follows from you. I've used this illustration before, but I think it's worth repeating again. One pastor talks about two different ways in which we can invite Jesus into our lives. The first way 
is that we say, hey, Jesus, why don't you come into my life? And, and then so I go about my day, and in my mind, I'm thinking about what I'm going to do with my life, and there's like this boardroom table happening in my head and heart. And everyone's got a seat at the boardroom table, and there's a conference going on, a meeting. And there's my, um, my religious self is at the table, and my social self is at the table, and my work self is at the table, and my childhood self is at the table, and my sexual self is at the table. And I say, Jesus, why don't you come to the table? And so then together, we all deliberate, what are we going to do? And, and then we all vote, and everyone gets one vote, and majority rules, and maybe Jesus doesn't carry the day. And I just go off and do whatever. That's one way to invite Jesus into your life. But this pastor says, no, there's another way to be a disciple. And that is to follow him. Not to invite him into your life, but to answer his invitation to follow him. To give up control and say, Jesus, you don't get a table at the, the you don't get a seat at the table. You run my life. You're the CEO. I give you control. I want to follow you. I want to put you above everything. You're not just a part of my life. You are my life. Disciples of Jesus place God. They place Jesus at the top of their lives. But then finally, we also see in verse 20 that Jesus says, disciples observe everything that Jesus taught and commanded. This means not only... Do we find in Jesus someone worthy of giving up everything in our life for? But we also recognize that in this life, as his followers, we are always to be growing and learning from him and striving through the power of the Spirit to conform our lives into his. This is a daily, gradual process of becoming more and more like Jesus. It means that we listen to him and obey him when he tells us what to do. If you read the gospel accounts, Jesus has a lot to say. Disciples of Jesus listen to him when he tells us how to use our money. Disciples of Jesus listen to him when he tells us how to treat strangers. Disciples listen to him when he tells us who to have sex with and who not to have sex with. Disciples listen to him when he tells us not to judge others. Disciples listen to him when he tells us how to love one another in his church. Disciples of Jesus listen to Jesus and so grow up to be like Jesus. Jesus is telling his disciples to go and make disciples. And a disciple is this, someone who has been baptized into the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit because they are united to Jesus. But it's also someone who places Jesus above everything else in their lives. And it is someone who is daily being conformed through the Spirit into the new creation that is ours because of Jesus. This is the mission of the church. Go and make these kinds of people. Go and make these kinds of people. And we have to ask then, where do we do that? Who are those people that Jesus is sending us to? That's our second question. Where are we supposed to make disciples? Well, in verse 19, Jesus says, 
go make disciples of all nations. Go and make disciples of all nations. Now, maybe when you read that, you wonder, is Jesus just telling us all to pack our bags, buy a ticket to who knows where, and leave? Is he saying to all of us that if you want to join the mission, you better be willing to go, and you better go across the world and share the gospel with people who have never heard my name before? Maybe. He might be saying that. I met a guy this week, actually, who is a, uh, their family, they are missionaries in Turkey. They're actually in Northeast Ohio for a few months. Uh, his wife is pregnant. They're going to have their baby here. They're raising support so that in January, when they go back just south of Istanbul, he is the um, academic leader of a theological institute south of Istanbul that are training local pastors and ministry leaders to take the message of the gospel back into their villages and introduce people who have never heard about Jesus and invite them to be disciples. But this guy, he was born and raised right up the road in Ashtabula. He, he probably sat in church just like us for most of his life. When we read this passage, maybe Jesus might be calling you to do something like that. But did you know that you don't actually have to go across the world to make disciples of all nations? Like right here in Mayfield Heights, we have a growing Indian population, especially on the east side of the city. And actually, in, in my neighborhood, almost half of my neighbors are Russian. I bet you have Russian neighbors, too, if you live in this area. And actually, with, with Hillcrest and the clinic and university hospitals and Case Western and John Carroll, there are doctors and students and patients coming here from all over the world, right in your backyard. We don't have to go across the world to make disciples of the nations. The nation's friends are coming here. They're already here. I, I read this week that Cleveland is one of 19 cities in the U.S. that actually welcome special immigrant visa recipients. That means the hundreds of thousands of Afghan men, women, and children who are fleeing their country right now and get to the U.S., they might be coming here. We as a city, Jesus is saying, welcome them, love them, share my love with them. But I think if we focus on just taking the gospel to the nations, we are missing the, the foundational part of this verse. Yes, we are to disciple the nations, but I think the more important part of this verse is that simple word, go. Go, which you might hear as leave. That's actually not what it means. It means as you are going or, or as you go about your day or in the regular routines of your life, in, in the patterns that you already have established, in those things, as you go, make disciples. Friends, we don't have to go across the world to obey this command. All we have to do is take on 
a missional heart. A, a missional heart that, that sees everything around us, every, every person that we encounter, every neighbor that we run across as someone whom Jesus wants us to introduce to him. This is what it means to have a missional heart, to see every interaction as an opportunity to make them a disciple. And I don't mean like if you're in an elevator with someone, you've got like 30 seconds to share the gospel real quick. Uh, that, that might do more damage than good. I don't know. I, I do think it's helpful if we were all able to, if given five minutes, be able to share the gospel and lead someone to Jesus. That would be wonderful if we could grow and learn to do that as a church. But what I mean by having a missional heart is having the eyes to see and the willingness to walk into every interaction as an opportunity to show them the love of Jesus. Here are two like really easy examples that I think everyone here can do. Has anyone ever hurt you or done something to offend you? Maybe they said something. Maybe they did an action. Maybe it was a coworker and they slided you at work. Maybe it was a friend who took advantage of you. Has anyone ever felt hurt by a, a non-Christian friend? Here's what you should do next time. A, a missional person. Look, it'd be so easy to get angry at them and har harbor bit bitterness and begin to scheme different ways to get back at them maybe even talk under your breath at them. But a missional person, a person who has a missional heart, when they are offended, instead of retaliating, they go up to that person, they tell them what they did hurt you. And then you say this, that there are far worse things that I have done to Jesus. And he forgave me. And so I forgive you. And then you say, are you excited for the Browns this weekend? Because you don't want to freak him out. You don't want to keep talking about Jesus. You know, say that what they did hurt you. Acknowledge that you've hurt Jesus far worse than they hurt you. But tell them that Jesus forgives. And then move on. Keep going with the conversation. Or, or maybe this. Next time, next time you hurt someone, because let's be honest, <laughs> we're all messed up. We all hurt people with our words and our actions. So the next time you hurt someone, like, it might be really easy for you to ignore it and hope it goes away. But the missional-hearted person, they go up to that person that they hurt and they say, hey, man, what I, what I did was wrong. I shouldn't have said that. I shouldn't have done that. You, you don't deserve me to do that. I, I'm so sorry. And you say, you, you might know I'm, I'm a Christian, and that means that I believe that Jesus actually died for my sins because I've done a lot of bad things against him too. And yet he forgave me and he gave me another chance. And honestly, right now, man, I didn't live up to that calling. I, I, I wasn't living up to the way that I think Jesus has given me another chance to live. And I'm, I'm really sorry. I know I don't deserve this, but would you forgive me? They, they may or maybe, maybe not. And you, you go on, you know, you don't have to continue that conversation. And you might not see in that moment the fruit of that conversation. But if you do that over time, 
someday your friend is going to come to you and he's going to say, hey, remember that time that you hurt me and then you asked me to forgive you? I, I just hurt someone I really care about. And, and I, don't, I don't know how to apologize. And I'm worried that they hate me. I, I don't know how to do that. Can you, can you tell me how you were able to apologize and ask me for, to forgive you? Then you have an opportunity to tell them about God's love for you and how because God loves you, you're free and open to admit when you've made mistakes because of Jesus. And you can invite him to experience that too. That's what it means to be missional. It's to see every opportunity to bring someone closer to Jesus. Look, if you think of people, if you think of um, a number line, that stretches back into eternity and out into eternity. And right there in the middle is zero. So the numbers count up this way and go negative that way. Everyone on to the right of that and the positive numbers, those are disciples. Those are followers of Jesus growing in their relationship with him. Everyone on the left side, they're not yet Christians, but they're somewhere on that line. Maybe they're at negative one. And all they need to do is be told, trust in Jesus, embrace him, and they're ready to do that. And how glorious would that be? But maybe you run across someone who's like negative a thousand, and they hate Jesus, they hate the church, they might hate you because you're a Christian. A missional person sees every one of our neighbors as someone on that line, and we have an opportunity every time we talk with them to just move them a little bit closer a little bit closer, a little bit closer. The Lord will bless our efforts as we go about our day making disciples. Jesus says, go. Go where you are. Go where you're already going, but go with a missional heart, seeing every interaction as an opportunity to make disciples. Finally, and we have to ask how, because like this is a high calling. This is hard work. Make disciples of all the nations. Invite people to be baptized into Jesus so that they would worship Jesus and, and grow into Jesus. This is a terrifying mission. I, I wish ours was as easy as just making coffee. This is daunting. It's terrifying. Statistics often will say that if you ask like the average person what their greatest fear is, it's public speaking. No one wants to get up in front of people and talk to others. I think if you go and ask the average Christian what their greatest fear is, I think it's this. It's sharing Jesus with people that don't know him. I think most Christians, their greatest fear is what will people think of me if I open my mouth and start talking about Jesus? People are scared that if you open your mouth and talk about Jesus, your friends might think differently about you or your family. You might be scared that if you open your mouth and talk about Jesus, people are going to have objections and, and questions and they'll poke holes in your arguments and you, you just won't know how to respond. You might be scared that if you open your mouth and talk about Jesus, you're going to look like a fool. I know that 
many of you uh, work with engineers, scientists, doctors, teachers. You interact with people on a regular basis with some really smart people. I, I know one of my fears is talking with someone and, and them thinking, Jeremy is foolish for believing this. I mean, how dumb and backwards is he? I get scared sometimes. So that's why at the end of this passage, Jesus gives us a promise. It's the very promise that we need to encounter our fears. Look at the end of the passage. Jesus says, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Jesus is promising that through his spirit, his comforting presence will always be with us. He will always be with us throughout all time until he returns, wherever we go, whoever we talk to. And this is the great promise of God that he's always given to his people throughout all of human history. Every time God's people were facing their fears, every time God's people were facing their enemies, Every time they faced opposition or ridicule or even their own weakness and brokenness and sinfulness, a word from God came forth and this promise was made, do not be afraid for I am with you. You are my people. I am your God. Do not be afraid. Do not fear. I am with you. Every time. At the end of Deuteronomy, Moses is leading the people of God, and they're at the, the, the shore of the River Jordan, and across the river is the promised land. But there are giants and enemies standing to fight. And so Moses says this, be courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be terrified because of them. The Lord your God goes with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Psalm 23, the most popular song, the most famous psalm written by King David, who is now running for his life because his son wants to kill him. He pens this psalm and says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and staff, they comfort me. Isaiah 43. The Lord has raised up these nations around Israel, and they're going to judge Israel and defeat them because of Israel's sin. But before they do that, the Lord says, but beware, nations, you too will be judged because of your sin. And the people of God cry out and they say, what hope do we have? Our own sinfulness is great. These nations are strong. And the Lord says, do not fear, for I am the Lord your God. I am with you. Though you pass through the waters, I will be with you. Though you pass through the flames, I am your God. I have redeemed you. You are mine. This is Jesus' promise to us. Do not be afraid. I am with you. Wherever you go, for as long as time, you are mine, I am yours. Do not fear, 
I have called you by name, you are mine. How are we to go and make disciples? With the confidence that the one to whom all authority and heaven on earth has been given, he goes with us. And so in his strength, we open our mouth and we share the love of Jesus with our neighbors. We be disciples and we make disciples. That is our mission. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. Lord, that in the waters of baptism that we remember your saving grace.